Well, I'm really excited to have our guest on today to talk about what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about unity versus uniformity. And unity, let me just start off. I want to make something very clear. Unity is a biblical mandate. Christ died that we and the church may be one. And yet we find that there is perpetual division amongst the people of God. The question is, why is that? And at some point, is it appropriate to ask ourselves, well, how should we define unity? What does the Bible say about unity? And at what point do we know that we've gotten into this, we've crossed some boundaries and we've gotten into uniformity? And we're going to we're gonna talk a little bit about that today, that concept. Uh, I've invited Will Archer. He is a visionary lead pastor with over 25 years of experience leading missional communities in diverse ministry settings. He is an innovative evangelist with a proven capacity to cultivate and amplify theologically sound and culturally relevant messaging across multiple digital platforms. He is deeply devoted to developing healthy communities of faith that engage the business community and community partners committed to helping the least of these in the Commonwealth of Virginia. He has served on several boards nationally and internationally. He is an alumnus of the 2019 class of leadership Prince William and of the 2022 class of Lead Virginia. Pastor Archer has an undergraduate degree in public policy from Arcadia University and a master's degree from Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. He is currently uh, a doctorate ministry. Wow. He is currently a doctor of ministry candidate candidate at Virginia Theological Seminary in Alexandria, Virginia. He has been married to the love of his life, Latasha Archer, for 23 years, and they have two adventurous children, 20-year-old Makai and 14-year-old Journey. Oh, I love those names. He serves as the lead pastor at uh, for the Potomac Valley Church. The Potomac Valley Church is an independent Christian congregation in North Virginia with a deep commitment to serving all people. Will, welcome to the channel, brother. Thank you so much. Grateful to be here with you, man. It's really an honor. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I I, I want to first open up with uh, a way for people to kind of just get to know you a little bit. Some people know you, many people know you, and then there's few who don't. Tell us a little bit about your conversion sure. and why you went into the ministry. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, I'm, it's really an honor to be here with you, Kyle, and just to be a part of this conversation. Um, I really appreciate your commitment to uh, addressing issues directly and uh, really seeking to bring people together. Um, so um, my my dad, this this important to my conversion story, um, my parents met here um, uh, in the U.S. My dad's Jamaican, my mom's American. But while my dad was in college, um, he converted to Islam. So I grew up Sunni Muslim. And uh, when I grew up um, learning to read and to write, I, I learned to, to read and write in English and in Arabic. And um, and my dad I took a job, a teaching job um, in Saudi Arabia. And so we went to Saudi Arabia, lived there for about a, a year plus. While we were there, we went uh, on the Hajj. So I went to Mecca and to Medina mm -hmm. with my dad. And while we're on the Hajj uh, in Mecca, I saw just literally thousands, what seemed in my eyes then as a child to be hundreds of thousands of people circumnavigating the Kaaba. And that began a question for me about the nature of faith. Um, 
Fast forward, uh, um, just a few months later, sadly, my dad passed away from prostate cancer. And uh, my family sent me to boarding school in England, where mm. I started reading first the Chronicles of Narnia. And then later in high school, I started reading the Bible. And I was drawn to, to Jesus. And over a nine-year period, I really developed the, the faith that I, I now have. And I got baptized uh, when I was in college, uh, you know, kind of in between I'm working in college uh, in um, New York City when I was 18 years old. And so that's, that's how I became a Christian. Um, but when I became a Christian, you know, over that nine year period, I found it really difficult to find communities of faith that were not only authentic, but were accessible. So, you know, you could find communities that were accessible, but authenticity was oftentimes a challenge, you know, or mm. consistency with biblical truth. Um, uh, but but to find uh, communities that were both authentic and accessible were difficult. And so I was just blown away by the culture that I experienced within um, the small group that I was a part of in the Bronx and um, and the Bronx ministry of the New York City Church. And uh, and so that really motivated me to want to be in the ministry because I wanted to be able to help people like me to come to faith in Jesus and to grow in their faith. Um, I had the opportunity four years later to go into the full-time ministry, which is like 23 years ago mm. uh, uh, in Atlanta. And Tasha and I have served in in lots of different cities and lots of different capacities. But my motivation to be in the ministry was was and remains um, just, you know, uh, church being both authentic and accessible. So that's mm. really the motivating factor. Um, but really, my Christian faith started in Mecca. Wow. See, it's it's very rare, actually, for me to have someone who started out with Islam and converted to Christianity. And in fact, I'm actually looking forward to kind of doing a trifecta where I have a Jewish person. I have someone who is a Muslim or uh, worships in Islam and then a Christian that, that, that I think would be a very interesting conversation. I'm halfway there. <laughs> so I I'm sitting here talking to you and that's fascinating to me and worth an entire interview. Yeah. Um, that's incredible. Okay. So let's start with this idea of what the scriptures say about unity. Unity is something that you hear a lot. And I just want to start out with a, a few quips, you know, when, when, when there are, hard things that happen, the plea for unity really comes out. It's, hey guys, can okay, things are getting a little bit turned up. We need to be unified. And so sometimes people say unity, but but, but we'll get to part of what maybe that's really about in just a moment. But But the Bible does call us to be unified. Right. Throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, I mean, this is Jesus's this is his mission to create a people for himself that are unified, that they're one. So let's start out with what the Bible says about unity and go from there. Absolutely. So, I mean, first off, I, I think that the, I, I really appreciate the way that you kind of set that up. I do think that's a pretty consistent theme, uh, definitely within the stream of Christianity that I've been a part of um, for the past 30 years. Um which is that you know the restoration churches mm -hmm. specifically within the the international churches of christ um unity is is often called on when there are times of tension 
and and the truth is it's right to do that the question is what is biblical unity mm-hmm. my conviction about biblical unity is that um, biblical unity has everything to do with jesus being the head with with a clear understanding of the the fact that of the lordship of jesus the fact that jesus is our king the fact that jesus is our savior that he he prayed for and died for all of his people in john 17 um, as as John documents that portion of the prayer for all of his people to be one, as he and the Father are one. There's nothing in the ministry of Jesus, however, that um, engenders any sense that there, Jesus was calling for uniformity. So, mm. you know, uh, in Colossians, it's clear, you know, Paul points out that Jesus is the author of life. He is that he is the 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 he is the, the the genesis of it all and he clearly creates a world that is diverse um a world um where you have lots of things that are happening that are, are seemingly divergent um and um and the disciples even that he picks in the 12 disciples that he picks they represent the diversity of the jewish community of that time you, you mm. have someone like simon the zealot and Matthew, the tax collector, that are coming together, their worldviews, their experiences, their relationships, their communal networks are very different. But Jesus brings them together. So unity is has nothing to do with uniformity. But the truth is, when you're trying to manage people, sometimes it's easier to advocate for uniformity or for conformity than it is to advocate for biblical unity. Um, unity requires a, a willingness for both sides to give, a, a willingness for both sides to lose so that everyone can win. Wow. Um, so, so there is a mutual submission and a mutual respect that kind of is um, the hallmark of biblical unity. And you see that, like you see that in Acts 2, with the disciples as they come together, they're all speaking different languages, but they're communicating the same message, which is the opposite of the Tower of Babel. Everyone speaks the same language. Um, you see that all throughout the the narrative of Acts, and all throughout the, the the questions and the contentions that are happening within the epistles. There, there is really is a forward movement from John 17 forward to say. I want all people to come together. I really do want to create an environment and I'm committed to creating an environment where all voices are heard, but there's a singularity of direction and that has to do with Jesus and not with anyone else. Let me ask you a quick question about this. I was talking to, I I call him an OG. (laughs) Um, I was talking to Al Baird and he had mentioned across restoration so restoration some of us we we're in a restoration stream and we don't even know it right. comes from this idea this this call to primitivism right? right and there's all this division going on and so back in the day barton stone came along a little bit uh, first and then you have alexander who comes along and they kind of have this okay let's let's focus on the essentials and then let's unify on those things and then these other things that don't matter as much and maybe they matter but we're going to privilege this. Yet, 200 and something years later, restorationdom has over 32 different streams. Right. Let me ask you a very simple question. Why do you think it's so challenging 
for even within an umbrella of the restoration sort of call to primitivism, why do you think it's so challenging for people to be unified on the essentials and then give grace <laughs> in all these other areas? But but why is it so easy to separate and sort of divide? Yeah, culture. C culture, mm. I think, is, is at the crux of it. Um, um, because it's your worldview and and it's you know it one of the the quotes that stayed with me from c.s lewis c.s lewis is my favorite author hmm. um, and um and honestly it's because i i, I credit c.s lewis for helping me to, to, to begin to develop my faith when I, I grew up reading the chronicles of narnia this is really my first introduction into like who jesus is is as a child through the chronicles of narnia but c.s lewis said um, in his non-fictional work, he wrote, um, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. And um, and the reason why is because religious bad men have a religious justification. God mm. wills it. You know, God, God has ordained this approach. And so when you take God and he is the champion of your cultural view, then mm. it's immovable, right? You know, it's not like it, it is a contest between good and evil. It's not a contest between what's the better idea or there isn't a humility in it. It, it, it is an entrenched position that from which you're going to die to defend. So I think that's what makes this so problematic because there are so many things that we um, identify as Christian that are just culture. They don't hmm. have anything to do with Christianity. They're just culture. And I'm right. having been a, a Christian for as long as I've been. The, the, the thing I'm constantly fighting is cultural Christianity for myself. So um, one of the benefits, I guess, that I have and folks like me who come from a non-Christian background is I have a reference point that is non-Christian where I can mm -hmm. say, yeah, that 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 too, because there's so many things that Christians do that are near identical to what Muslims do. So I'm like, yeah, I, I know that person. They just had a different name. It, same same character traits and so but those are cultural issues and i think that's what feeds the tension um I, i'm not saying that to say and now i have it all figured out of the 32 i've identified the one that is the right stream i not quite the opposite what i'd say is there's probably incredible benefit from all 32 all 32 streams to use your example need to decide that they are not Lord, but that there is only one Lord, there is only one King. And mm -hmm. so one of the big cultural shifts for American Christians is that we live in a theocracy, but we often act as if we live in a Republican democracy. Wow. <laughs> so I'm not the King. Like, and that's one of the things I keep explaining to our congregation here in Potomac Valley. I don't even lead the Potomac Valley Church. I'm the first follower. Hmm. The Holy Spirit leads the Potomac Valley Church. This is right. Jesus's church. I'm just doing what we're told to do. And I'm a steward and you're a steward. And we've got to do this together um, because a lot of church leaders like myself honestly set up their own kingdoms. And hmm. so they're, and they're defending their own. And I'm not saying that to be disparaging. I'm saying that that is culturally consistent right it is but when you realize you're not the king and you're also not the president of the you know of the <laughs> you know of, of of the church you you are 
um, you're a steward. And so you've, you've got to submit yourself to Christ. You've got to submit yourself to the other leaders that are in the church. You've got to submit yourself to the people. Um, but, you, but you cannot surrender in any way the directives of the Lord or the King, um, which is Jesus. And so if that's clear, then I think it helps to clarify a lot of the other stuff. But it's really difficult because culture and faith get so intertwined. But before we go to the next question, let me respond to that and then point something out that I think is problematic within how we think about uh, unity. First of all, I love where you went in terms of culture. So when I think of restorationdom, which is kind of this, the way to create unity is to focus on this pattern. And if we're, we get good at the pattern, then we'll find this community that develops around us. And so we just need to be like the first century church, which we kind of romanticized that church. Uh, they had a lot of issues. Um, it wasn't a very mature, and it wasn't nearly as corporate. I mean, there's a corporation culture in many of our streams. Right. There, there wasn't sort of this uniformity um, right. there. There was an incredible diversity. I, I actually learned that when I went through an Acts class. Literally, the entire semester was on the book of Acts. But this idea of culture is never, ever something that the Holy Spirit run from, runs from. The Holy Spirit never runs from culture. Here's what I've noticed. Culture eats pattern for breakfast. So when you have this pattern and you're pattern dependent, sometimes we can sideline the Holy Spirit, which he is the lead evangelist. <laughs> Ultimately, yes. he's the one that brings people together. Whenever there's unity, the Holy Spirit's involved. Okay. Yeah. So to me, when I think of a reliance on pattern and much of what we see in restoration, and I'm not trying to tear down restoration. I, I think like a restorationist, I, I don't network like one, right, right, <laughs> um, right. but I, I think that a lot of the principles are great. However, this is kind of my, my, my observation is that we have these fellowship tendencies that communicate elitism. Right. Okay. Can you speak to the elitism? Because it's one thing to want to be unified. It's another thing to develop an air of elitism. Right. Where does that come from? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great question. And I'd say uh, if I can, if I can um, tackle that question by perhaps posing another thought um, to address it, I think, not only where does elitism come from, but where does elitism lead? So, um, mm. so I think that's also a, a key factor because the goal for God, this is all God's game, right? So the mm -hmm. goal—that's the question. What's he? What's he after? What's his infinite game? So his infinite game is all eight billion of his current children, all of his children that have ever lived and will ever live, for them to be in a right relationship with him. Like that's all he's interested in. And so I'm a parent of two kids mm. and I can tell you, you can raise two kids in a household and they same household, same parents. Um, they have different experiences. They, they have mm. their own personalities. They have their own idiosyncrasies and they come from the same parents. Um, that's just the nature of kids, but I'll do anything to save, to, to rescue, to reward, to encourage, to, um, help my children to advance. Like mm -hmm. my children are my everything. And that's the conviction both me and Tasha have about both our kids. I only have two. He has 8 billion. 
So mm. I think if you understand that, it changes the way you think about elitism because elitism assumes that there is an inside group and an outside group as if one group has more favor than the other when the truth is God's plan was always for all people. And that's that's the mistake that Israel made. <clears throat> and coming from our kind of specific stream, um, restoration churches, churches with Amerocentric roots or Amerocentric thinking, um, churches like the International Churches of Christ that um, I was a part of for 30 years, really do embrace <clears throat> exceptionalism, Americanism, and 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 so much that has to do with we are the people. So we use language, for instance, like when we talk about kids that have not grown up within our church, we mm. refer to them as Gentile kids. And I'm like, so that mm. infers <clears throat> that kids that have grown up in our church are are the chosen kids or the and we call them kingdom kids. Right. Mm -hmm. So we use this kind of insider outsider language. They're all just kids. You know what I'm saying? And. And some of our kids may biologically have Jewish heritage and some may have non-Jewish heritage, but we're not speaking about it that way. Um, we're, we're really, that is a, um, that is an, an example of very Americentric um, elitist language that we use. So what we found is it's really important to tackle that straight on by doing everything to divorce ourselves from insider language or insider culture. But elitism is elitism is the opposite of God's plan. Right. And I, I don't mean that I'm not trying to be disparaging. I'm just saying, you know, uh, Stephen Covey said that what a leader does is you climb to the highest tree and you look down and you're like wrong jungle. And the guys mm -hmm. on the ground are saying, but we're doing so well. We're so efficient at clearing the jungle. And he's like, it doesn't matter how efficient you are at doing that. If right. you're going in the wrong direction. Like that. You're going in the wrong direction. Yep. Like God wants everyone to come together. He wants all people to be saved. Um, and he doesn't do that by having an elite group. He does that by having a, a group that models. That's what Israel was designed to do. It was not designed to be better than the other nations. It was designed to be a bridge for all people. I think this is what leads into... <clears throat> my next question about uniformity yeah. is when we look in the scriptures, we are called to be holy, right. which is to be set apart. And it means to be dedicated to God that when we become a Christian, we dedicate our whole selves to God. And in order to do that, we find different mandates in scripture to be separate in certain ways. And yet when we look at the beginning of Mark, we see that Jesus is judged because he sits down with tax collectors and sinners. And then he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Um, I've not come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. So Jesus is very disorienting mm -hmm. for someone who wants to draw very clear lines about, you know, me and them, us versus. And so I think on some sense, people have conflict will because they feel the need to separate themselves in order to maintain their holiness. Right. My question to you is let's get, let's get on the same page about conformity or uniformity. What is that? Yeah, I, I think uniformity, it, it is one group or one cultural viewpoint 
having dominance over the other. Um, hmm. and, and that is antithetical to unity because um, unity is bringing all of the streams together. Now, there's common language that sometimes you can use. You've got to be mindful of kind of inside or outside of language. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and a group that once you're together, you start kind of having your own language. So you've got to mm-hmm. constantly fight to create an environment where you're welcoming others in and not just kind of doing your own thing. Um, but I, I like the point that you're making about the the impact of dominant culture. And I think that that can be a kind of a hot topic right now given all the cultural um, dynamism that's happening within Christianity Mm. and within specifically our American context of what's happening in America. But what we've got to recognize is that that this has been the case always. Mm. Um, This is not a new thing. If if you were in in the time of the dominance of the Babylonian Empire, Babylon set a certain culture. Uh, Or if you were in Egypt during the, the reign the, the dominance of Egyptian culture. There is a dominant culture in Egypt, in Rome, um, you know, and in, in the, the when Britain oversaw the world, um, there's a dominant view. We, we're just right now living in a unipolar world um, with America being the dominant uh, world power and with lots of competitors kind of emerging to try to challenge that. So so mm. the, the, the challenges that we have um, are real, but they're consistent across humanity. And that's why I think I really appreciate you addressing things from a cultural standpoint, because we oftentimes can operate as if this has only happened here. And this mm-hmm. is only, for instance, a tension between black, white and Latino people or black, white, Latino and Asian people, as if this isn't a human dilemma. Um, whenever a group of people come together, there's always a uh, propensity for a certain group to take control so that they can rule over the others. But that's not the order that God intended. God never intended for us to rule over each other. Mm. He intended for us to function as a community um, and, um, and as a community where all the voices were valued and where God's voice was followed. You know, um, so that that's really what that's what he's after. So, again, if you if you're asking yourself, what does the king want? So that's what we need to do. That's going to mean I'm 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 going to need to let go of something. But my neighbor might also need to let go of something so that we can become what God wants us to become. Um, Real quick about that. I love what you're saying about that. It, it to me, it's kind of at times uh, for people, this mind over matter. I don't mind and you don't matter. Right. Okay. That's anti-kingdom. Right. And so what I'm what I'm saying is is uh, that I love that you're pointing out is like in order for unity to happen, we're both going to have to die a little bit. Right. Absolutely. In order for kingdom to live. And so yeah. it feels like that can like going back to meritocracy, <laughs> talking about those cultural strains that are embedded very deep. Mm-hmm. Um those heirlooms of our past are intertwined into how we describe kingdom, how we describe kingdom. And it feels like at times, Will, for some reason, we're not curious about that. We're not curious about the way that, I mean, our our beliefs are world building. And so I'm like, the the way we think about social status, the way we think about our job and economy and politics, 
I think some people are shocked that all of a sudden it's it's creating issues in the church, and it's like, well, actually, maybe it's been there the whole time. Always, <laughs> always, always been there. Yeah, I, I think it's always been there. And, and um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example that was, like, jarring for me when I first went in the ministry. So I told you, you know, I, I became a Christian, and, and my, my passion was just to be a minister, which is, like, the opposite of what any of my family members would have wanted me to be. My dad was a doctor. My mom always wanted me to kind of do what my dad did, mm. and, um, and a very successful, you know, psychologist. So, um, so I, um, I decided I wanted to be a minister because I felt called to the ministry. So I go in, I get into the ministry. Three weeks into the ministry, I'm in a staff meeting in the South, and um, and the person that's heading up the staff meeting says, "Look, a, a black man cannot lead a multiracial congregation in the South." And so I'm like, I'm at an impasse because I come from a biracial heritage. My dad's black. My mom's white. I've lived in lots of different places. I'm very comfortable with black people leading, Asian people leading, white people leading. But also based on my faith, I'm convinced that it really has nothing to do with the color of your skin. Mm. It's whether you're led by the Holy Spirit and whether the Spirit has given you the gift to be able to lead at that specific time in that specific context. So I go to my mentor and I'm like, I'm going to have to resign. Like I, I can't be in an environment where you don't even believe I can do something based on something that is external. It's not based on God. So my mentor encouraged me, don't, don't quit today. Go back and talk to the person who said that. So I did next week. I went and I talked to them and the person apologized and said, I didn't mean it that way. I, I'm so sorry for how I said it. And I'm 22 years old. And I was just blown away that their response was to apologize. But hmm. what I found over time was that that was a foundational thinking that not just that that leader had, but a number of leaders had. And, and these were not like clan members. And these were not like horrible, <laughs> evil people. These were yeah. people I love, I respect, I admire, who, who grew up with worldviews that naturally limited the ability of someone to do something based on where they came from. Mm. Um, and, and, and what I realized at its core, and it took me a long time to get here, because um, I had to struggle through that, you know, and, and, and work through my anger and my frustration and my doubt and my disillusionment, was that that was a conflict between their cultural view and what the Holy Spirit work is in someone. Wow. If we're saying that someone can do something based on something external, the confidence that we have is the same confidence that Israel had in wanting Saul to be king. Mm -hmm. it, you're looking at the outside. You're not looking at the inside. So it, it isn't about whether someone's young or old, whether they're black, white, Latino, whether they're disabled or, 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 or otherwise able. It, it isn't about the external. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit. And that was a found foundational miss that someone with a significant amount of authority had. And and I, I, I what I found was that there are many leaders, well-intended, that really do allow culture to be much more dominant in their thinking than Christ. Mm. And and as now I'm one of those, I'm a leader now myself, leading a congregation. I I try to be especially careful to surround myself with people who help me to ensure that I'm not 
letting my cultural viewpoints inform my thinking about what we can do. Um, so I'm not saying I, I don't think that person can do it because of X or Y, but I'm like, no, actually anyone could do anything if God wants them to do it, because Jesus says I could raise up stones if I wanted to. Mm. You know, like it, it isn't about us. It really is the work of the Holy Spirit. But that that's that was a hard one lesson for me because I, I struggled um, with being really disillusioned because I thought all Christians were Christ. <laughs> and they're not. They're just people. Right. You know? They're just people. Well, and there's so much of what you're saying that I I would love to just I mean there's all kinds of spin-offs we could do. Um you know, I want to be specific yeah. now as we get into how your congregation has embraced unity over uniformity and it, some of this stuff is just theoretical until it's implemented and we can see a picture. And so you're about to share a picture with us. And so I want to talk about, and, and you take whatever risks you want, what are some ways that your congregation has had to maybe radically embrace a new concept of unity? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I shared kind of my context um, and, um, you know, as we, and specifically, I'll narrow in on kind of what's happened over the past three years. Okay. So we made a decision about six years ago to call the congregation to a time of prayer and fasting and to um, uh, a decision for us as a congregation to repent of the past, to, to reshape the way we, we think we see things and really commit ourselves to following the scriptures more closely. That was three years prior to the pandemic. So. Wow. So then we go into the pandemic and the pandemic for, for our community was a defining moment in terms of really challenging what we had committed to do three years prior and putting it into practice. Um, and the elders and I were really fortunate um, to have um, three elders that we appointed about six years ago. Hmm. And, um, and we just recently appointed another uh, group of elders. So we have a great community of elders that um, Tasha and I have an intimate relationship with the elders and the elders and wives. And so as we're navigating this, we're talking about kind of where are we going as a community and talking in an integrated way with our elders, with our deacons, with our staff, with our small group leaders, with our board. We, we've been talking about kind of what, what's the Holy Spirit teaching us and, and calling us to do. One of the things we saw was as we went into the fall of 20, into the summer of 2020, there's a lot of conflict in our culture um, here in America around race mm -hmm. and um, and around um, uh, just the nature of the relationship that folks have with each other. Um, we live 20 miles. Our, our main campus is 20 miles um, outside of Washington, D.C. Um, and our main campus in Prince William um, is in Prince William County, which is the second largest jurisdiction in Virginia and Virginia's first majority minority county. Mm. Um, our, our second um, campus, our satellite campus uh, in Fredericksburg is equally diverse. It's, it, you know, it, it is this region where we function, where the two campuses of the Potomac Valley Church are, are very diverse politically, racially, um, lots of military bases in and around this area, lots of people from different places that come to the, this area. So we're a diverse area. And we are committed to being a church that reflects the diversity of our local community. 
and leans in. So we decide to lean into what's going on in our community um, to address the political divide without taking sides. So we embrace what we would call a cruciformed approach, where we extend our arms to those on the right as much as we do to those on the left. Amen. We invited in, and we consistently invite in, Republican and Democratic political leaders, local leaders, state leaders, you know, federal leaders to come and come to our, our, our congregation to eat with us, to meet with us, for us to engage with them. And we embrace our congregation being a place that's safe for people who uh, may have different political kind of philosophies. So we had to engage those issues. Uh, but that was just kind of, if you will, that was just the surface reality. What we realized is the the much more challenging diversity that we had to to um, engage in, and the much deeper call to unity was us being clear about the fact that we're not only in statement not the only Christians, but we really function as if, and within the reality that we are not the only Christians. That mm-hmm. anyone that embraces sound salvation doctrine and embraces a biblical worldview in their practice of life that we welcome them into our community um and so um that led us to spend a lot more time over the past two years talking about the holy spirit and the holy spirit's leadership uh within our community and that led us specifically this year to making a decision as a congregation as of march 1st of 2023 that we would uncouple our congregation from the framework of the International Churches of Christ that many of us had been a part of for 40, 30, 40 uh, years, or or some of us just for a decade or two. Um, We'd uncouple ourselves from the framework of the International Churches of Christ and identify ourselves clearly for who we are, which is as an independent restoration church. our, you know, the decisions for this congregation are made locally by the local leaders. And our fellowship, however, is broadly with other Bible-believing Christians. So we didn't break the bonds of fellowship. We, we right. active fellowship with, you know, churches of Christ that are in and around the area and active fellowship with international churches of Christ internationally. But our fellowship is not limited to the International Church of Christ. Our, our, our approach really is open to anyone who wants to profess and practice what is sound. We want to be able to have active fellowship with them. Here's the thing that's happened, Kyle, and this is the thing that's been really interesting. I've been in the ministry now for 23 years, and what I realized up until about a year and a half ago is for so much of that time, I tried to cultivate growth or foster growth or, you know, or, or create growth. Um, but it was a lot like pushing a car up a hill. Like, you mm. know, there's a lot of effort for not necessarily the kind of dynamic response that we see in scripture. Over the past like year, and particularly over the past several months, I feel like something shifted as we've embraced the fact that the Holy Spirit's driving the car, mm-hmm. not pushing the car, We've gotten in the car. We're sitting in the passenger seat, and it's just moving. Like the the, the <laughs> people that are coming to church, and the people that are getting baptized and getting restored, and that are 
welcoming that we're welcoming into our fellowship through the right hand of fellowship we've just never seen anything like this before like i've never witnessed and people will say i i just felt called to come here i just feel like this is the place god wanted me to be and um and this is people from all backgrounds the other thing that was really interesting kind of going back to kind of the beginning of my time in the ministry and this idea that you know someone is limited in their ability to lead a group of people based on where they come from or their racial or cultural heritage what's mm. really interesting is the people that are coming are not just black people or white people they're not just liberals or conservatives they literally are people from every economic group ethnic group uh, ideological group like mm. it, it, it is this insane diversity of people mm. and when i sit down and i like I've been having, literally, my, we've got with our staff, and we are overwhelmed with the amount of appointments that everybody has to like just have, you know, conversations with people about becoming members of our congregation. That we had to even change our framework of uh, how we have people, you know, kind of come into our community. We had to have um, now we have monthly, like large group Bible study sessions. Um, every month just to be able to receive the amount of people that are coming. Um, and uh, so it's like a completely like mind blowing thing. But I think the the uh, genesis of it was we had to embrace as a church, myself as a leader, our leadership group with the elders in um, 2020 forward that we don't have control, nor do mm. we nor do we want it, you know, like god really is in control also we really do have um diversity and therefore we're going to have tension around that diversity and we've got to be able to live in that tension and not try to mute it we have to really address it and then direct people to, to jesus being their standard right and, and uh and that that's been that's been remarkable it's messy we it's it is it's been you know there are lots of challenges there are lots mm -hmm. of nights um, um we've made a lot of mistakes oh my goodness we've made so many mistakes um and i've had to apologize a lot publicly privately individually in groups so because you know we're people so we mess up but my goodness it has been the most remarkable thing to see as we've decided to kind of go on this path um of of truly just doing what we see in the bible and um and you know and going where there is seemingly no path, but letting the Holy Spirit make the path. So you keep bringing the Holy Spirit up, and, and this is case in point, okay? There is a reason why communities and even individuals that are focusing on their relationship with the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. are experiencing transformation, not just growth. There's a difference. There is. And so when you focus on growth, Sometimes you miss transformation. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we are so married to pattern, um, we miss that the Holy Spirit is sort of leading us in a direction that is very counterintuitive. So example would be when you look in Jesus's detail, his, his, his crew, you see a tax collector and a zealot. Think about that politically for a moment. A tax collector and a zealot. And they are in your detail. They are in your group. 
These are your messengers. And it makes sense because the Holy Spirit, first of all, understands kingdom better than we do, right? Um, even our understanding of the pattern falls short. Yeah. And so, but the point is, is that the pattern maybe at times tries to manage culture in such a way where as we eliminate tension, we start to eliminate kingdom. Because what, what you're sharing <laughs> is that what God is doing is he's bringing people across the aisle who don't talk in the world. Right. But that's, those are the people who Jesus brought together. He brought people together that did, it never made sense. I guess what I'm saying in this is I think there's people hearing you and I think some of them are triggered because the bottom line for them is that when you join a movement or whatever, that you're there for life. Right. And when you leave, you abandoned, you rejected your brothers and sisters. And I, I, I just want to push back on that for just a moment, just, just a bit, because when we leave a group that we don't necessarily leave kingdom, and this is my my thought is like what you're doing is going to make people evaluate their current understanding of kingdom. Right. And so I, I think that's part of the culture too, which is the kingdom. Even that word that 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 concept of the kingdom is pretty insular. <laughs> it is, and and you're you're talking about working outside of you know the 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 the, the the structure of how we make a church and how we make disciples. Mm -hmm. And as a minister, that's very controversial. And so I just, I guess I'm saying this is that not everybody who decides to go a different direction is toxic. Mm -hmm. Not everybody who decides to follow the Holy spirit is leaving God. Mm -hmm. Not everybody, obviously you're not leaving God if you're following the Holy spirit, but you know what I mean? You're leaving the group and, and it doesn't compute. Because it's like you can't leave our group and be doing God's will. What do you say to people who maybe have a pushback against what you're doing? Yeah, and and what I say is it's okay to have a pushback against what we're doing. That's that's the nature of family. I think hmm. that, you know. I, I mean, that's it's okay. It's okay to disagree. <laughs> it's okay to think that what 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 I'm doing, what we're doing, isn't right. Um, Let's just have the conversation. And um, hmm. I will say this. I've been really impressed by the level of maturity of the leaders that are in and around the, the D.C. metro area um, in the conversations that we've had. Um, we're not trying to advocate for other churches doing what we've done or other individuals doing what we've done. We just believe in what we're doing. And so we're doing it because we believe that this is what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. Um, and I'll be happy to tell you why, but this is why we're doing what we're doing. And so, um, uh, you know, we uh, we respect the differences. And I respect the fact that there are people that will, for life, stay within a group. And, and, and they feel like that's the place that God's called them to be. Totally respect that. Uh, um, absolutely. But having said that, my decision at 18 to get baptized uh, was to get baptized with Jesus being Lord. Mm. So that is an immovable decision, the Lordship mm -hmm. of Jesus. Uh, my decision to be a part of the, the kingdom of God with Jesus as king 
is an immovable decision for me. Um, being a part of one group or one grouping of Christians or another, that's completely flexible. You know what I'm saying? That that I'm that that is, and and I, I want to say this is a hard one position for me because when I do something, I do it all the way. So mm-hmm. when I say like I'm. I, I've I've never been peripheral in my commitment, specifically, let's say, to being a part of the International Church of Christ. I'm like all in, and I want churches within the International Church of Christ to do really well, and I want them to thrive. And I've advocated, and many who know me know how deeply we've advocated for that. Um, you know, in every capacity, whether it's financially or you know, organizationally or culturally, like I want the churches to do well. Our congregation, however, saw that it was important for us to be very clear, um, and specifically our leadership within our congregation saw that it was important for us to be clear about where we stand and why we feel led to do what we're doing. And um, and that's that's been a, a, an amazing shift. And to my knowledge, you know, we're among a small group of entire congregations that made that choice and that is not Mm. to advocate for rebellion um or for anything other than a commitment to following jesus um and um so we've been clear there there there's nothing i'm telling you now here that i haven't said to um so many leaders i've had Mm -hmm. really strident conversations with many of the regional family chairmen um, the, the, that's the the organizing group, if you will, um, that helps with the the International Church of Christ, both in North America and globally. I've had lots of conversations with them, and lots of conversations with my you know fellow ministers about the need for change. Um, but what we recognize is you can talk about something, or you can be about something. So for us, we're like we're like we need to be about it, um, and I think. To be honest with you, Kyle, one of the shifts that happened, and my faith really did shift during the pandemic. One of the big shifts that happened is prior to the pandemic, I would say that so much of my energies were centered around the considerations of what's in the best interest of a hundred thousand people. You know, mm. like, like what what is what's what's best for the kingdom, like you know, for the framework of the fellowship I'd become a part of. And when I saw hundreds of thousands of people die in the pandemic, um, it shifted my frame and just, just for me. And I said, whoa, like, all right, I, there are 8 billion people on the planet. What am I really called to do? Is it to help to maintain uh, or to expand the, the considerations of 100,000 people? Or do I need to do my part to radically engage with 8 billion children, many of whom don't know God? And mm. so, so that's kind of changed my frame. Um, and then, you know, we were really fortunate through the pandemic. We were able to, to form a really great partnership with Blue Ribbon Results Preschool that that runs the preschool, the brain-based preschool here in Dumfries, in our Dumfries location, and one in Norfolk. And that really helped to further cement not just thinking about the considerations of 8 billion people but 10 billion people like what's going to happen for the next generation of kids that are growing up that are hearing like what happens with the life cycle of people 
over the next 30 years. And so our church's kind of posture is not just geared for like, how can we reach the community of now, but how are we going to reach the next generation? Oh, you know, so that, so that mm. to do that meant that we needed a lot more agility of action and accessibility of engagement. And so that's why for us, it made sense to say, all right, we need to, we need to define our, our lane, which is that of an independent restoration church. To me, that creates range in motion. Right. It allows for a pivot. It, at some point, the whatever it is that we're a part of in terms of the bigger, the scaled up sort of mega thing right. uh, becomes sentient. It needs right. its own sort of feeding and it and, and can become a God, can become a being um, and can distract from loving people. And, and I, it feels like that's where the spirit's kind of calling. I, I think, listen, I am not anti- reaching the world and so forth. I'm not any, I mean, I want to reach the world. Um, but I, I do think there comes a point where the Holy spirit starts moving us in uncomfortable ways. So for example, house churches, their pandemic realized, man, I need a community setting in order to heal and transform a community setting that's in my neighborhood. And I'm finding that the days of the command center are over. <laughs> wanting people to drive to the command center versus we can see that when we are embedded in the community, we have more influence as Christians. And it's not just a one-way evaluation. Our neighbors, they have an opportunity to evaluate us. Okay, We're not just going and evaluating them. They are giving us feedback, um, which I think is really important. And then I, along with house churches, now you have other churches that want to become independent and, and I know this is kind of a bureaucratic statement to make, but when you don't need money from an organization, okay, uh, it does allow for us to move in a different direction. And, and I just want to be sensitive. The church isn't just a church. It's also an employer for many people. And I want to respect that. Um, that being said, I don't see house churches as a threat. And I don't see churches that want to become independent so they can function within their context a threat. Now, if you're a company person and you're a company man, then yeah, you you might see the structure sort of people leaving the structure and this and that. But like you said, some people, that's that's a good setup for them. That's okay. No one's saying as a house church or as an independent church that it's not okay to still be in a group of churches that have a shared history. No one is saying that. What I think is unfair is when we say that it's wrong to do house churches or become independent. Yeah. And that that's unfair because that actually feels more like the New Testament <laughs> than what we've created. So um, I love what you shared real quickly about the next generation. You and I, we're not the future. We're not. Right. And some of us that are legacy oriented, maybe you're having a hard time with that. Right. Um, but you and I are not the future. Um. So my question is, is I love this generational sort of perspective you have as well, which is we're trying to get to the grandkids and the great grandbabies and all that. I love that. When the current generation looks at our at times stodgy rigidity, or they look at us in this preservation mode, right. what does it do to their faith? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a challenge to their faith, and and you know, so that's that's a real thing. And I appreciate what you said. You know, the the reality, Kyle, is, you know, the Holy Spirit works through everything. Yes. God, God is at work in all things, and so I, I think, that is a a very difficult thing for us because you don't have control when mm. you, when you don't have control. I, you know, so like I don't have control uh, of, of what we're doing. I'm trying to 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 stay in sync with the the movement of the Holy Spirit. I think there there is a lot of benefit, if you will, to scale when you are coming together in a, a, a congregational gathering. You mm. know, so I think there's a lot of benefit to to large gatherings of Christians. I think there's a lot of benefit to small gatherings of Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot. A benefit to to emerging new ideas around even how we use technology to develop Christian communities. Like you said in the prayer that we we had before we got on the conversation here, ten years ago we're not having this conversation this way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the very future of faith is being formed right now, and mm-hmm. the only one who's um, equal to that task is the Holy Spirit. Right. So we've got to we've got to embrace that we live in a volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world. And the only way to engage in that space is to follow the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit's vision, the Holy Spirit's cultivation of understanding, the Holy Spirit's um, really clarity that the Holy Spirit can provide and agility of action. And that's what you see in the New Testament. So I think that's totally, totally the way to go. Um, as it relates to the, the future and what it does to the faith of young people, um, I'd say whenever you embrace the fact that things can change, hmm. that's really encouraging to the next generation. <laughs> generation. Every generation thinks that the generation before them was wrong. Right. And that they have the new idea. And the mm-hmm. truth is, there's nothing new under the sun, but the the complexity of our world because of the amount of people. Like, remember, the world of Jesus was a world of 300 million people, hmm. less than the population of the United States. Wow. We live in a world of 8 billion people. Like, the complexity of the world that we live in is is made complex by the people and hmm. by all their their stuff that they bring. The It's exciting I've found to young people, if you're willing to say, look, we don't know, but we're following the Holy Spirit, Wow, you know, and, um, and you don't know either. <laughs> you follow the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm saying? So we're not looking for our young people to lead us any more than we're looking for our sages to lead us. We're all submitting ourselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and, and, and that's, that's been it's been exciting, honestly, um, to see that um, it's been liberating, and we did not die. You know what I'm saying? We're still, <laughs> we're still alive. You know? Yes. Um, and and if what we're doing is from God, it will succeed. If it's not, mm-hmm. we'll change. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're, not, it, we're not like stuck. Like, oh no! And now we're gonna go in a cave. Like, no. If if God reveals that we need to change anything there's nothing we won't change um and um i can say that that's the commitment that myself and the elders 
um, have and our congregations embrace that, hey, whatever we need to change will change. What we know is unchangeable, the word of God. Right. The truth, the message is immovable. Mm-hmm. What is so super changeable? The methods like mm-hmm. small group, big group, group on Sunday, group on Saturday, hour long service, 45 minutes, three hours. Like, you know, str- all the other things are movable. The methods are all um, malleable, but the message is immovable. I appreciate that. And I I'm, I wrote this down in my notes today. I want to do some sort of conversation. I might reach out to you on uh, it's not a it's not about the color of the carpet for churches. When churches argue about the carpet color, that's or they're arguing. That's when you that, know. It's <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? Real quick, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what What do I mean by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's because the that means that the building has become the center point of what you're doing. Oh, and wow. um, now, ha- so straight up, we have two church buildings, and we intend to um, to to buy more church buildings, as many as we can, because we. But they're not used just as churches. So right now, mm. as I'm having this conversation in my office, there's 35 kids that are learning about Jesus in a brain brace a brain-based preschool and we're looking at how do we use our spaces as community centers as Mm -hmm. gathering places um so i think there's there's benefit to facilities if they are a tool but facilities can also become a tomb where you Mm. die you know what i'm saying and so um but our fellowship that that you and i've been a part of has had an aversion towards facilities because we're like, no, we need to be on the field. But the truth is that in itself is a rigid view. Like you just use tools as you need them. If you need a hammer today, you use it. If you need, you know, a chisel today, you use it. These are all tools. Um, But so we, we will use tools as they're necessary, but we're not slave to the tool. And I think when you're arguing about the carpet, that's when you know, that's it right there. We ain't moving. This is my church. (laughs) Like we're the church, you know? So I love that, man. Well, I, I am so grateful for this conversation. I feel, I feel inspired about what God is doing in his game. I like the way you put that. It's his game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just, I feel like there's a lot of people listening to this who are very fearful of what's next. Their next season, their next act is terrifying because the spirit may call them into a scenario like yours and that's off the grid for them. That's like solar panels, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) And it's like, Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm not connected to the grid. Um, but you are powered (laughs) and, and, and that is scary and new, but then it's the next level. You can go to a whole nother level. And so I just want to say to you, I want to tell all my guests, and, and I'm really excited to tell you this today, that we are with you. We are with you, and God is for you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. So grateful to be a part of this conversation. Look forward to many more. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, if you've been listening this entire time, I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, I am grateful to put out content. Please go and check out my Patreon. That's how I keep the lights on. It's how I keep doing this with my time. Uh, and uh, I'm just raising support on my own to do this. And it is an honor. And you are worth it. And I want you to know that. See you next time.